Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with David Barnes, president of Watermark Retirement Communities, which, as of mid-June, had 65 communities in 21 states. What will the baby boomers want when they move into senior housing? To David Barnes, the answer to the question goes beyond entertainment or even engagement. He thinks baby boomers will want flexibility and the ability to control their daily lives. And that's the thesis behind the company's fast-growing Elan and Elite collections of luxury senior living communities, which are helping to drive the company's pandemic recovery. Before we get to that interview, I wanted to promote our next Build conference happening in Chicago on November 17 and 18. Build is an annual event dedicated to the latest trends in architecture, design, and innovation for senior living owners, operators, and developers. Hear how industry players are redefining senior living development and planting their stakes now to reshape the future. Be sure to visit seniorhousingnews.com events for the latest updates on Build and our other scheduled events. And now here's my interview with David Barnes, president of Watermark Retirement Communities. David Barnes, thank you so much for joining me on Transform today. Yeah, yeah, Tim, it's good to hear you. I appreciate your your time. As we all know, it's been an extremely difficult uh, 14 months plus. And, you know, I'm really proud of the Watermark team and the task force and, you know, what what we accomplished, you know, during the uh, pandemic. And, you know, we're very excited, I think, as is the rest of the United States and parts of the world, are to start, you know, coming out of this pandemic and getting back to life and business as usual. So it's been a long year, but we're uh, very optimistic about the future. You know, one question that I've had is sort of how deep this recovery is. So what are you seeing in in Watermark's markets in terms of uh, recovery? Yeah, uh, great question. You know, we've this is our third consecutive month of increased uh, census in all product lines. As you know, we have independent living, you know, assisted living, memory care, and skilled nursing accommodations. And so this is our third consecutive trend in the positive direction. It's not, we're not setting the world on fire for sure, but, you know, people are, you know, are ready to start looking at options. And, and, and really, ironically, if you look at what's going on in senior housing, we're actually the, the safest place to be right now. We have highly vaccinated you know, resident rates. And, you know, my mother lives in a, one of our, of our communities. And you know, I can't imagine what it would have been like had she not, even during the pandemic, you know, with all the negative press and all the, you know, the stories out there, you know, just trying to coordinate all the services that would have been required in her home and not to have any support and help. So, you know, we're starting to see people, you know, come out and start looking again. We're, our traffic's picking up. And again, you know, I think we've had three, you know, small, you know, increments in, uh, in occupancy in all, across all product lines. So, you know, we still think it's probably, you know, a year and a half recovery to get back. But, you know, all signs are, are very positive. I get a lot of feedback from our family members and our residents of how appreciative they were of what, you know, the steps we went to keep them safe um, and thriving. That's the other thing about it is, you know, being at home by yourself and dealing with a pandemic, extraordinarily difficult. And so I think people are, in many ways, understanding just how important, you know, the senior housing is to us as human beings and this, you know, really this need to be around people and, and with common interest and, and enjoy themselves. So. 
So that's the good news. Things are positive right now. That's great. Obviously, though, we still have uh, a remainder of a year. There's still, I think, uh, risks. So what's on your worry list for the remainder of 2021? Yeah, several things. You know, even coming through the pandemic, you know, we we spent I don't know, close to three million dollars in PPE, and and frustratingly had to import it often from China, and so it was you know very challenging just to get through it. And and I, I, maybe that's in the in the positive side of this is you know we are better equipped as a company and and probably as a company to you know not be in the position that we were in. You know, it was we were on the the ground, you know, of this, you know, you know, back in, you know, June and July or April even. And there really was a scarcity of, as you know, you know, PPE. And we ended up, you know, sourcing, you know, lots of PPE and, and we shipped it all to Tucson and we actually set up a makeshift uh, inventory location. And we were, I was, my son and I would go down and volunteer and just, you know, box up masks and gloves and all the things that, you know, people couldn't find. And, you know, in many ways, I think we're a much stronger company. And again, I think hopefully leadership in the United States won't allow us to get into a position like that where you can't get basic PPE in place when you need it, when we're caught as a country, you know, unprepared. So I think that's part of the positive thing is is that. The the other thing that, you know, we learned a lot going along, you know, our task force uh, really did a brilliant job. You know, the CDC was trying to figure out what was going on. And, you know, changing their guidance, in some cases, it seemed like almost daily, but certainly weekly. And we have a lot of robust systems that we put to the test. You know, being able to put out a new policy and literally track attestation for 6,000 plus associates across the country and make sure they had the right information, they had read the right information and attested that they had read it so they could, you know, do their job you know, as safely as possible was, you know, really a big you know, thing for us. So, you know, a lot of our systems were tested beyond anything we thought about when we designed them. And a lot of really good best practices, you know, came out of, and we really did see the best of leadership uh, during this time and, and very difficult things. So you know, in many ways, again, I'm, I'm very bullish on the future of our company because of the, you know, the severe tests, you know, our leadership went through the culture of our company, you know, our systems, our training and all that. So, you know, again, it's a very hopeful and feel like we're going to come out of this, you know, much stronger. And, you know, I really do think that the, the market out there is looking for this type of community and this, this sense of belonging that, you know, is so critical to us. So. I'm sure that one area that was tested was technology. I mean, given the sheer, you know, increase of use during this pandemic. And I know that Watermark has a pretty robust tech platform that helps support your operations. So can you talk more about what that is and how Watermark uses it and also just, you know, how you're using it today as we hopefully start to come out of this pandemic? Sure. I, I touched on it a little bit, you know, and it, we developed this in-house. We developed it, you know, 20 plus years ago and keep, you know, expanding it every year. And, uh, you know, one thing that we are able to do is both on the training side is we can push training out and know whether, you know, you took it personally and passed, you know, some level of, of knowledge about the subject. And so that was really, really important, especially with, you know, our task force was taking information coming out of CDC and they were either putting it into a policy and a procedure like, you know, masking was a perfect example. You know, we, in the beginning, there was not enough masks to fully mask all of our associates. And we worked really hard and worked really quickly to get that accomplished. But in the beginning, 
you know, we had to do a whole policy procedure around, you know, what we call conservation masking. And so you have to let the associate know when you come to work, here's what you do. Here's how you get your mask. Here's how you, you know, protect it. Here's how you get a new one when you need it. Um, here's how you uh, try to make it last more than a day. All those kinds of things because we, we just had to. And so you really have to be able to know that every single associate that's coming into our communities knows what to do and, and trust. Again, we've got, you know, 65 plus communities in 20 states. So it's, it's difficult from a central location to be able to do that. But our platform and our systems give us those kind of visibility where we can actually literally do a, either a skill gap or a policy gap analysis. And I can know that, hey, you know, you know, Tim Reagan has not attested that policy. So there's a really good chance that he doesn't know what is the procedure for conservation masking. Or once we had enough PPE that you no longer have to do conservation masking, you'll be issued a fresh mask every shift and more if you need it. And so when that changed, all we did was we updated the procedure. We pushed it back out. We said it requires attestation, re-attestation. And then you come to work, you sit there and you read it and you go, oh, great. Okay. And again, that's really important. You know, otherwise we have to work through 65 leaders, hope that that message gets communicated to 65 people. They don't interpret it one way or the other. And it's, it's really, really straightforward. So again, when we designed the system, you know, we designed it with this in mind. We certainly didn't design it with the pandemic in mind and how absolutely critical this kind of communication you know, is. So we also invested in new technology. We invested in a company that's called Go Health ID, and uh, we have real-time data on vaccinations, both first shot, second shot. You know, we can log into this app and see exactly. It communicates with the labs. It's pretty seamless. And you know, again, having that access to to that information at our fingertips and figuring out, okay, you know, who do, where do we need to get scheduled in the clinic? Where do, where do we need to bring in more education because we have, you know, vaccine hesitancy? You know, what, what, what is going on? So we're, we're really a data company that, you know, relies on, you know, real strong data. And also, you know, we're also a people company. And again, I can't, I can't tell you how proud I am of, you know, the communities. And the thing that was really interesting, Tim, was, you know, we've always considered ourselves to be a really strong culture. And you saw that even when there was, you know, a really challenging situation with like a pandemic, the communities where the culture was really, really strong, that team came together and they did some heroic things. And if we had a building where there was, was a culture problem, maybe we had some you know, leadership challenges, you saw how they didn't come together. And so, you know, we had to really react to that. So that's something else that we've always said it, you know, it's always been a hallmark of Watermark. But, you know, we really saw it in the trenches in action and how important it is. So that's another thing coming out of this that we're going to double down on and you know, really make sure our associates feel empowered. They feel part of our mission. They feel appreciated. So it's another thing we, a lesson learned, um, kind of, so it was kind of a lesson we knew, but a lesson that you really saw <laughs> in action. On the topic of investing in technology. I've heard from operators that obviously, you know, you need an investment from your capital partners in order to innovate, especially with regard to technology. You know, some of that stuff's pretty expensive. But at the same time, these are tough times. Expenses are high. Investors need to make their returns. So what's your philosophy on, on you know, getting everyone on board with investing in new technology? I guess, what do you need from investors? How do you communicate that? And then, like, how do you have that discussion of here's what we need and here's how we have to fund it? 
Yeah, you know, it's, it's really interesting. We've always uh, viewed ourselves in many ways as an investment platform, you know, not a management company. So, you know, when we when we partner up with an investor, we really are partners and we have some great partners and we're having these discussions right now. And you're right. It is, it is challenging. You know, we had a a large hit in occupancy. We're starting to recover and it's going to take time to recover, but they're, um, you know, they're very smart folks. You know, the, the demographics of this population hasn't changed because of the pandemic baby boomers, you know, are, here or heading our direction. And so they see the long term of, of all this and they understand, you know, the need to stay competitive and the need to have, you know, options and programming and services that differentiate you from, you know, other offerings. So I think we're very, we're very fortunate to have great partners uh, and those conversations are going well and yet yeah, it doesn't make it any easier, <laughs> but you know, they, they understand their smart folks. Yeah. You'd mentioned earlier that you think that the incoming generation of seniors might want something a little bit different than the previous generations. I know that Watermark right now is focusing on its Elan and its Elite collections, which seems like part of the idea there is to try to cater to folks that maybe want something new out of senior living. So I guess my question to you is, what do you think baby boomers are going to want when they move into the senior living industry? And how how might the industry offer that in a way that's different than what they've offered in the past? Yeah, it's, you know, again, we've been around for 30 plus years. We've, we've actually commissioned studies on this to look at, you know, what are the drivers for the different generations? You know, we've got the, the silent generation, we've got the baby boomers. And, you know, if you kind of look about when we got started, you know, 30 plus years ago, it was really about entertaining. You would hear the expression, you know, it's like a cruise ship on land. And we would, build these beautiful dining rooms and, you know, you can have three meals in here, you know, you come out and we'll, you know, tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree and and, all that. And it was really about entertaining and, and, you know, taking care of people. And then, you know, 10 or 12 years later, we kind of realized it was really should be about engagement. And so we started, you know, really focusing on that as a driver as how do you get people to engage? So maybe less about watching someone, you know, sing, you know, tie a yellow ribbon around the old tree and play the guitar. Maybe you want to learn how to play the guitar. So we, you know, we started Watermark University, you know, with this in in mind is how do you share whatever skills and talents you have with others and how do you learn new things? And what I think the difference thing that we're working on right now is, is one step beyond engagement. And that is really, you know, flexibility and you know, being able to craft your own day. So if you look at the Elan collection or the Elite collection, they're, you know, in most cases, purpose-built communities where we have, you know, three or four, you know, dining venues and you'll be given a, you know, a flex spending account. So let's say you get $600, you know, to spend per month. Now, like all of the, you know, the country club model, I get to choose how I want to spend my $600. So if I want to go have a really nice meal and, and invite some friends and, and have a great meal, but I like to cook, so I'm going to keep cooking. Or I want to go get a massage or, oh, I want to grab a bottle of wine and take that back to have wine and cheese with some friends. The, you get to craft your own day and have that flexibility. And that's really what, you know, in many ways, one and elite, you know, stand for is, you know, less about being dictated and more about saying, you know, the world's your oyster. How do you want to craft your day? How would you like to spend your money? 
and let's create this physical space that embraces that. So I would say that's different. So we went from entertaining to engagement to, you know, really flexibility and, and having, you know, control of how you want to, you know, spend, you know, this, this particular day and, and spend your money, quite frankly. I know that the Elan and the Elite collections are, are high-end and they're priced accordingly. That had me thinking, though, how does Watermark think about the different price points that you're offering? You know, how uniform is your pricing? And to what extent does it differ from one community to the next? And how do you make sure that everything kind of flows together? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, you know, we do have Elan and we do have Elite and we have what we call our classic brand. And to me, it really is... You know, there's some differences. You know, we may not be able to have you know four dining venues, but even in our classic, you know, we try to figure it out. We, in some cases, we've taken a dining room and we carved it up into multiple dining you know, venues, or we created an outdoor dining venue. Because I don't, I don't think you know, it doesn't matter what price points you're on. Human beings are all the same. They all want choice. They all want flexibility. They all want. So we're working you know hard at throughout all of our communities to provide this, you know, this feeling of, you know, flexibility and uh, choice. It's just that at an Elan community, you know, we can develop from the ground up and, you know, we have a little bit more control over, you know, designing those spaces. And that's where, you know, David Freshwater, uh, my partner is, you know, brilliant and uh, you know, has just such great vision about picking sites and, you know, f- and partnering with our, you know, our development uh, partners to, really combine the vision of what we learned over the last 30 years with some really strong, you know, development companies that you know, build quality products. So it really is things coming together in a really opportune time of, you know, you, you learn a lot over 30 years and then you've got some, some new folks that are you know really excited and do a really great job of development and you blend those things together and you can do some really, you know, magical uh, things. Some of the buildings that, are, that, you know, we've been opening or in the process of opening are, World class, you know. I, my wife and I went and visited one, and we were like, she's like, "When can we move it?" And I'm like, "I, I know." <laughs> you know so. That's great. That's exactly yeah. what you want, right? Exactly. I want to switch topics. I want to talk about staffing. I've heard from several senior living executives now that they are more worried about staffing than they are about occupancy in this recovery, which I think says a lot. So I wanted to get just sort of the state of play to start with. What is staffing, you know, recruitment retention like right now at Watermark? You know, where are you feeling pressure? Are you having trouble hiring for any roles? And if so, you know, which ones? Yeah, yeah. again, something that we've kind of prided ourselves for, you know, decades really is, you know, I was once asked, I was told by a, a CEO, you know, we are a resident-centered you know, company, how about you? And, and you know, and, and David and I were, were, we were in his office and, you know, talking to this gentleman and, you know, David and I kind of looked at each other and hadn't really put it in words before. And I said, well, if, I guess if we had to pick one, you know, you could be resident centered, you could be associate centered, or you probably could be investment centered, you know, investor centered or, you know, family center, who knows? But, you know, we kind of looked at each other and said, well, yeah, I guess if we had to pick, it's going to be associate centered because, you know, we have this fundamental belief that if you treat people well, you know, they'll take care of your residents, that will fill your buildings, that will make your investors happy. So you can, if you start at the core of, you know, what's really important, you know, I'm probably the least important person in, in our company. It's the, you know, servers, the NIAs, the housekeepers, you know, that are, that are there doing, you know, the work and working with our residents. So I think we had a, a little bit of a leg up because we've always had that philosophy, but absolutely, you know, staffing is a challenge. 
and we've been working on it. Uh, we really focus on trying to create an environment where, where we can engage our associates, not just have them come, you know, clock in, do their work and clock out, but how can they connect to the mission? How can they, you know, they can teach a Watermark University course, you know, they can become a faculty member um, and share maybe their hobby or passion with a resident on the clock being paid for it. So that's going to be to me even you know more and more critical is how do you engage people? How do you, you know, make sure that they don't want to go down the street for, you know, 25 cents more, or 50 cents more. Now, the flip side of that is I think, you know, there's clearly wage pressure is here and we're going to, we're dealing with it. And again, I don't think it's any big change for us. We've always, you know, kept a close, you know, you know again, we're a very, very data-driven company. We've always kept a close feel on, you know, what wage demands are. Uh, we've always dealt with, you know, the minimum wage increases that are happening in multiple states. We've always been ahead of those. So, you know, I think we'll have to keep a close eye on wages and it just kind of is what it is and we'll we'll deal with it and you know work with it but we have we have recruiting in, in-house we just added another recruiter in in preparation anticipation of this challenge we think things will free up a little bit in you know fourth quarter when the stimulus money you know stops and we can get you know america back to work but no matter what we'll listen to our associates We'll hear them. We'll understand what the market is telling us, and we'll, we will react um, because we, at, at the core of everything, we really truly are associate centered. It's not just a cash, you know, tagline. It really is what we've always believed. Right. I actually want to get your take on on something. It seems to me like during these tough times, I mean, you know, obviously raising your expenses that's a tough thing to do. But it seems to me like you can justify that by saying, "Look, the cost of labor might be." more in the short term. But if we invest in this now, in the long term, this will pay off in in other ways that might save us money, you know, better occupancy, lower turnover, you know, better staff engagement. I guess, do you share that philosophy? Is that sort of uh, how you think? And if not, you know, what is your philosophy on investing in staffing? Well, absolutely. You know, when we don't have staff, when we don't have engaged staff, and we don't have, you know, people who really believe in your mission, you know, are coming to work because, you know, they, they truly love what they're doing and they love, you know, the residents, they love being at Watermark. When you don't have that, it shows up in all sorts of ways. I mean, it shows up in overtime because people don't come to work and now you got to fill shifts. Uh, now you are paying, you know, one and a half times wages anyway. It shows up in agency, uh, which is, you know, two or three times, you know, your cost and, you know, not necessarily great care because those, those, not that there's, you know, the, there's some wonderful people that work for agencies, but, you know, they're not, they're not invested long term. They know this is a temporary, you know, gig. So their heart isn't in it like you want people in. So, and when you have unengaged, uninspired, you know, associates who don't feel appreciated, you're more susceptible to lawsuits. So there's all these, you know, these intangible or, or somewhat <laughs> tangible things out there that, you know, you've got to factor into this equation. And so you're, you're absolutely right. You, you want to invest. We have to balance, you know, you know, what, what we can pay versus what, you know, the market can pay and, and all that. It's, it's a, it's a balance, it's a balance for sure. And, you know, our, our residents, you know, have struggled this last, you know, year and a half uh, too. So it's a, it's the pressures are coming from both sides, but you've got to do the right thing. And you're right. We're in this for the long term. Our investors are in this for the long term. And, and so we'll take all those factors and, you know, measurement to, you know, how we respond and, and we always will do the right thing. 
David, I want to maybe put you on the spot here. I, I thought of a sure. question while we were talking and I wanted to pose it to you. So let's just pretend like you have ultimate control of the senior living industry. You get, you decide what happens. In what ways would you like to see this industry change? What are some things that you think needs to happen, especially during this recovery in terms of the, the whole industry? What would you do if you were in charge of it all? Well, you know, I, I think it really boils down to, and I really believe in the, the human spirit, you know, both, you know, from residents, from family members, and from associates. And you see, you know, such incredible stories that came out of this pandemic, you know, where people were selfless, where people really you know, put their heart and soul in it. So I would say, you know, if you know, there's a lot of money that wants to get into this space, obviously, this is, you know, the, the biggest hiccup we've had in 30 years, you know, we got through 2008, 2009, you know, uh, I wouldn't say unscathed, but it, it actually improved the industry because it, it showed that we were pretty tolerant. You know, if you were in construction and, you know, other industries during 2008, 2009, you know, you really got hammered, which was, you know, very difficult to watch. And we, we got touched for sure, but we got through it. So I would say, what, what, again, what we learned going through the pandemic and what I would hope that people coming into the space, whether you're a developer, an investor, whatever it is, that you understand what we're dealing with. It's the heart and soul of our residents and the heart and soul of our associates. And we'll figure out margins. We'll figure out returns. We'll figure out all those kinds of things. But if you don't start there, I think you're going to miss, miss what this is really, you know, all about, and especially with the baby, baby boomers, you know, heading our direction. You know, there is a lot of interest in this space. Again, maybe it got a little bit uh, sour in the last uh, 14 months, but we all have short memories. And, you know, as we recover, it'll be, oh, senior housing, look at the demographics. But so I just, I would hope that people get into it for the right reason because they want to do the right thing, you know, by our residents and by our associates and by our family members. And the rest will take care of itself. I, I don't know if that answers your question or not, but that's. That's what I would hope for industry. It, it, it sounds like you would, if you could control it all, it sounds like you would, you would hope that everyone had more understanding about what this industry was all about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I want to end our discussion today with a little bit of forward-looking stuff here. And, and knowing that nobody has a crystal ball, and by the way, I think we have probably talked about some of this uh, today, but if we yeah. can sum it up, you know, knowing, knowing that nobody has a crystal ball, how do you expect the next you know, 6, 12, 18 months to go? And what are you preparing for in your role at Watermark? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think I've never been asked have a, a crystal ball so much in the last uh, year and a half. You know, it was people, and part of it was just everyone was home. They were feeling helpless. They were, you know, sitting there, you know, getting pressure from their partners about what's going on and asking for us to bring our crystal ball, crystal ball out. Uh, I think at one point I actually said, you know, we're sourcing a lot of PPE, but I haven't ordered the crystal ball yet. So, but you know, I, I think it was a little bit what we're talking about. You know, we're seeing a, a, a slow recovery starting, which is you know, extremely encouraging. I think from a, a morale perspective, you know, we're starting to talk about fun things again. And this has been really, really challenging on our leadership. You know, it's been a, you know, in the beginning, it was a, it was a lot of stress. And then, it, you know, I would say for the last eight months, it's been this low grade stress where, you know, at least we had figured out how to handle some things. We knew how to mitigate things. We, we you know, the vaccine was exciting, you know, we, we were just kind of, you know, moving forward. So I think we're going to see, you know, slow recovery for the next, you know, six months. Like we've seen the last, you know, three months, we'll pick up the pace. I think we're about, you know, probably 18 months of recovery. And you know, the pressures that we were talking about is, you know, we are really focused on recruiting and retaining and attracting, you know, talent and, and really leveraging uh, what we've 
you know, been known for it for the last 30 years to you know create environments where people you know feel appreciated and feel connected to more than just you know the tasks of their job and so that's what we're putting all our attention in is in associate engagement we're actually developing some interesting platforms to focus on that and then how do you deal with you know making sure that we retain the associates that we have and attract new ones um, and so I think we'll be, you know, when we have this next conversation in the year, you know, 14 months from now, I think we'll just see a continued trend of improvement. And, you know, hopefully we'll just be looking back and, and saying, you know, phew, thank God that's over. But, you know, again, we're also wanting to make sure that we, you know, really stay prepared for anything, whether it's, you know, a, a new COVID down the road or just, you know, how we communicate with our associates, how we can communicate policy and all things that we kind of learned, you know, how critical they were over the last uh, 14 months. So overall, I'm extremely uh, bullish. I'm extremely excited. And I, and I really do remain inspired, you know, by the, the really talented leaders we have in our organization and all the, you know, beautiful stories that have come out of this pandemic. You can focus on the negative a lot, but we actually are a company that actually traps and shares stories. And there's been, so I get to see a lot of stories you know, come across my desktop and uh, it makes my day when I sit there and hear about, you know, a, a associate going the extra mile. We had one gentleman who uh, did haircuts for the gentleman. I think it was a maintenance guy, you know, and he just knew how to do that. And, you know, our residents couldn't go out and get haircuts. And so he put a barber's chair together basically. And, you know, started doing haircuts in the middle of the pandemic. No one asked him to do it. It was just something that, again, that, there's someone who's connected to what we really stand for. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm always inspired by that. Well, that's a great story to end it on. So yeah. David Barnes, thank you so much for coming on Transform today. This has been a great discussion. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was great talking to you, Tim. Thank you. That does it for this episode of Transform. I would again like to mention our upcoming Build event in Chicago on November 17 and 18. Be sure to visit seniorhousingnews.com slash events for the latest updates on Build and our other scheduled events. Again, I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening.